You up all night tossing, turning, mind racing, trouble falling asleep, getting to sleep? Welcome. You're in the right place. Sleep With Me is proud to present Game of Drones, the Game of Thrones podcast that puts you to sleep. We do it with an episode discussion. Tonight, it's going to be season one, episode five. I can't believe it myself. The Wolf and the Lion. Roar. And you're going to hear someone roar. Maybe. All you need to do is get in bed, turn out the lights, and press play. We'll do the rest. Podcast is going to create a safe place where you can set aside anything running through your brain and keeping you up with judgments or discussions or anxiety or whatever. We're going to distract you from that. But as the episode discussion goes on, I'm going to start talking about stuff that uh, interests me. But I have a way of um, being interested in stuff that's only somewhat interesting, I guess would be the polite way to say it. Other people might say, oh boy, here comes this guy. He's going to talk about uh, single-celled frickin', I don't even know, but believe me, let's uh, let's get out of here. He's the put-you-to-sleep guy. But this is one context where it works. So this is a podcast to put you to sleep. All you need to do is listen. Is this your first time here? You know, give it a shot. If you don't watch Game of Thrones, give it a shot. See if it works for you. Works for some people The game that don't watch Game of Thrones. It doesn't work for other people. And uh, as, as a general rule, it works for a lot of people. It doesn't work for everybody. I hope it works for you if you can't sleep. If it doesn't, I'm sorry. Uh, you know, try out other episodes. We are on Tuesday and Thursday. We have other episodes. That's it. We're on the web at www.sleepwithmepodcast.com. Game of Drones episodes are at www.sleepwithmepodcast.com slash drones. You can email me feedback at sleepwithmepodcast. You can get me on Twitter at Dearest Scooter. We're on Facebook. You can comment on the website. So if you have anything to say, go ahead and say it. Say it out loud, out loud on your keyboard. And uh, you can do it in all caps, you know, if you want. Go ahead and cap it, bold it, underline it, and italicize that thing. And if you really need to say something, strike it. Strike right through it. I'll know that even though it's a little bit harder to read, you're really, it's really, really important. We have a post office box. If you want to participate in our uh, thing where you send a self-addressed stamped envelope and you get three pieces of outline of a show for the cost of two stamps, three illegible pieces of legal pad paper, probably. Uh, yeah, go ahead and check us out at www.sleepingpodcast.com slash S-A-S-E. That's it. We're going to go through the episode. We're going to do that. We're going to have all our housekeeping at the end. I got to tell you, the crone, she loves, you know, when the housekeeping is in prayer form to the crone. One of the old gods I pray to, the crone, sweet, sweet crone. But I, I can't tell you how sweet she is, you know. She's a little bit... uh absent-minded because she's so old and wise but that'll be at the end of the episode or on a future future napcast so that's it huh how about we get to it i mean eventually we'll get to something but we're, we're, i was still gonna buy some time but yeah so let's talk about uh season five <laughs> season one i wish it was season five believe me i was looking at the i was like you know researching this episode about stuff about Lannisport, you know, just doing some uh, 
re- general research, and I was like, man, I can't wait for that episode, season five to start. But this is only season one, episode five, The Wolf and the Lion. What happened in The Wolf and the Lion? A lot. We got, it opens with Winterfall, ugh, Winterfell, and Bran taking some lessons from that old guy whose name, of course, Llewellyn, I think is his name, like something like that, maybe. Bran's, you know, taking school lessons from him. Greyjoy shooting arrows. Theon Greyjoy. Baratheons, Lannisters, they cover it all. We'll cover it too tonight. But Bran's acting like a little, he's a little being a little bratty. He says, I'll never shoot another arrow. They say, no, you might. Then you get a little Theon and Roz action. We finally meet Roz, who's been talked about this season in a titillating way. And yeah, I said titillating. <laughs> wow. And, you know, Theon's acting like a jerk. What's this, like, jerk? Is there jerk sauce in the water? Oh, God, I can't believe I just said that in this context. I did not mean to. But is there some sort of jerk-related um, influence going on in, in the north? I don't know. Everybody's acting like a, a asshole. They talk about, uh, you know, Theon talks about his, you know, Roz is kind of giving him some attitude. He's being demanding and... And childish. He says, I don't want to pay. She said, get a wife, fool, and get off me. And we got Arya versus a cat. We got Varys, 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 right? Nice to meet you, Varys. The spider, talking to Ned, talking about Bran. And Varys says, some doors close forever. Others open in the most unexpected places. And then you got uh, Cersei. Telling uh, Ned, you know, the king's a fool unless you save him. I think that was Cersei. And uh, we'll learn about the tears of Lise, who gave it to Rob, uh, John Aaron. Sir Hugh, who paid Sir Hugh. We got some more questions. And we got Arya going down in the basement. We got dragon head, bones, dragon bones. Then we have Vars talking to some dude. Says something about something not being ready. The wire, maybe? I don't know. Who is this guy? This is a question I've always had. Or maybe it's, maybe it's not a question. Maybe that question was answered. Maybe it's not. But in the book and this, uh, very mysterious. I don't know if it's because I'm not observant, like this was answered, what, what, what was going on in the basement here, or not. I'm not sure. So if, you, if you know, let me know, but don't, no spoilers, you know, say, hey, uh, you know, to, well, let's talk about this uh you know, but not in a spoiler way. Then we got the Iron Throne. Baelish is staring at it. You get a little one-on-one with Ferris and Baelish. Beauty and discretion. They talk about uh, Ferris's balls. Does someone somewhere keep your balls in a box? He says, hey, man, I don't even know where they are. And we had been so close. We had been so close. Such, again, great, funny dialogue. And then they're kind of talking about who saw who, when, who, when. You know, like, my person saw you, when they saw you, they saw you. Then Renly comes in and breaks it all up. You got Robert at the council meeting. Then you have Arya spilling out of the castle. She tells Ned, there's somebody out to get you. It's some guys. They're talking about stuff. Then you have Yorin budge in. He calls Arya a boy, or his son. I love the attitude. She, I'm not a boy. And Yorn wardens Ned that, uh, that's the guy's name, Yorn, right? That his wife took the imp, and now Ned's like, oh, man. 
I don't know if I don't know if Sean Bean has a furrowed brow, but he can certainly act like he does because he's like, oh man, I just got three more furrows on this brow. I got a lot. I got to watch his brow next episode. We got Lady Stark meeting the soldiers at the Vale. They talk about the Vale being impenetrable. You want to talk about impenetrable? Wait till we meet the freaking lady that lives here. Next up's the small council meeting. Robert says the whore is pregnant. He's talking about Khaleesi. Robert wants them all, wants them dead, all of them dead. One king, seven kingdoms. I think it's an honor. It's fear and blood. Him and Ned. This is really a, a scene where Robert shines. He's, uh, he says, speak sense to this honorable fool. Do vile things for the realm. Followed you to war twice and then Ned quits. Oh, Ned, what are you, what are you doing? And then Baelish comes up. He's like, you know, you want to see, hey, buddy, I know you just quit, but you want to see the last person that saw John Aaron alive? Then we meet the crazy impenetrable aunt. And if you, you know what I mean, I wish she was she, too, too bad she's not impregnable, impregnable. And her son is, you know, nursing at her. He's like 40. And then Tyrion gets sent up to the sky. Sally has to deal with Mord, the jerk. Sir Vardis was the one who brought him up there, I think. I ran out of pages here, so I hope this is the next thing. Next, we got uh, Loris and Renly. Loris is shaving Renly's chest. Something uh, not tough enough. Not a gift. No one gave it to me is what uh, Loris says about his sword fighting and uh, his fighting skills. So This is like a scene... Oh, one thing I wish they showed is the melee. Uh, they talk about the melee, but they didn't show it. I mean, it probably would have cost a bunch of money. Somebody could have got hurt. And that's the point of melees. And I think some dude from the Brotherhood Without Banners may have won it, but I'm not positive on that. And if you guys you guys don't know this, cause we have, but I loves me some Brotherhood Without Banners. I'd like to, I don't know, now that I know more about them, I don't know if I'd want to join them, but... I think they're cool, at least. But this scene with Renly, Renly and Loris, you know, it's not only a scene setting up their relationship and that, but it has a lot of exposition that's done where they're explaining things or re-explaining things that are important for the series and history in this brilliant way, like with this, uh, what do you want to call it, sexual, it's not sexual tension, but the unveiling of the relationship and I guess the intimacy level, I mean, you're going to let some dude shave you. And, like, you can see, like, uh, Loris really loves and looks up to Renly. And setting up, like, Renly's, like, a, a leader in his own way. A leader because he would be loved by the people who follow who would follow him. But at the same time, everything they're talking about, it could have been so boring if it was just two people talking. If, even if it was a Loris and Renly. In any other way, so it's brilliant how they layered that in there. Then we get this crazy scene, crazy, crazy, unbelievable scene with Robert and Cersei. She says, "Sorry, your marriage to Ned didn't work out." And then uh, they're talking, and Robert has a killer line, neat little trick: you move your lips, and your father's voice comes out, or something like that. And then he says, "Which is a bigger number, five or one?" He says one, like when they're talking about uh, if the Dothraki hordes were invaded. 
said there's as many armies as men who have gold in their purse in the uh, seven kingdoms. What holds it all together are marriage. And then they just crack up. And that was a really nice scene. And then I said, don't you get tired? 17 years is a long time. 17 years is quite a long time. And then the scene turns again. And we have Cersei ask, like, what was she like? And that's like, I can't even remember what she looked like. Uh, Lyanna Stark they're talking about. Seven kingdoms couldn't fill the hole she left behind. That's a devastating line. It devastates Cersei. It shows, you know, Robert's swilling this wine trying to fill the hole. I felt something for you once, you know, Cersei says to him. I know I'm not doing it justice. You guys should watch it. And she says, was there ever a time or a moment? He says, nope. And he says something like, how does it make it feel? She says, it doesn't make me feel anything. And then we meet another one of Robert's kids. And then we have the showdown between Jamie and Ned. Which, I mean, after the showdowns that we already had, it's kind of uh, like, I mean, I'm not kidding. It's like, it's a cool scene. Very heart-wrenching. But I don't know if it can stack up to the scene before that with uh, Cersei and Robert, in my opinion. But again, you know, you have a little sore foot. I mean, you really want Jamie to get, you know, hurt at least in the scene. doesn't happen. Ned gets hurt, left behind. Jory, poor Jory. If only he would have got into that orgy with Robert, at least we would have had something to be like, oh, that orgy with the king. You know, but I'm sure Jory had some good stuff. And that was the end of the episode. So what are we going to talk about tonight? We're going to talk about the Seven Kingdoms because uh, we had multiple scenes where the Seven came up with uh, Bran I think they were talking about the great houses, and then Robert mentions it at least twice. So we're going to talk about that. Varys has a line in there where he says, They sing no songs for spiders, and I wanted to find out if that was true. And that led me down a a path, an unexpected path. We'll talk about uh, something about spiders and music. We'll have an episode of Talking Targaryens. We'll do a little Talking Targaryens. We're going to talk about tough enough, because Renly says, am I tough enough? We're also going to talk about body hair, because they're removing body hair. Body hair is, you know, it's uh, expendable nowadays, I guess, apparently. So we're going to talk about why the hell we have body hair, the theories about it. We'll, we'll touch on a fear of blood. That'll have a story from me about, you know, a little history behind the podcast story. We'll talk about, wow, this is actually more... Because the Tough Enough has a little bit about me. And then, not that you need to stay awake because it's nothing interesting. It's boring. Then we're going to talk about how um, Cersei says, you know, I felt nothing, kind of, or I feel nothing. Ever made me think of the song from a chorus line, which is a musical I've never seen before, but I've heard the song. And it had uh, made me think about stuff. And we'll have our prayers. I'm not sure what order we're going to cover it all in, but... Let's get to it, shall we? It is known we're going to talk about something soon. All right, so the first thing we're going to cover is uh, Seven Kingdoms, which Bran was going over this stuff with that old guy. And, you know, it was like, first I thought he was talking about the Seven Kingdoms, so I did research on that. He could have been also talking about the great houses of uh, Westeros, which are interchangeable. So let's go over it. Because he was kind of listing houses and sigils and 
And I, I don't know everything about Westeros, so I want to know more. So the Seven Kingdoms were what were the Seven Kingdoms. I think were what were conquered by the original Targaryen, like uh, whatever you know, the original Targaryen conqueror Aegon. Maybe I'm not even sure who conquered the Seven Kingdoms. Actually, you know, and uh, you know, Kishon Jeopardy, West, you know, Game of Thrones Jeopardy. The easy version, uh, he only conquered six of the seven kingdoms. So we'll get to that too. All right, so let's start with an easy one. This would be, uh, I'll take the north for 100, Alec. You know, you guys get mixed up like it's Alec, not Alex. Just, you know, another note, don't call him Alex. Especially outside his house at like four in the morning, he hates it. You've never seen the Canadian. I mean, I used to think Canadians can't get mad. Okay. North. House Stark is the uh, north. Winterfell is like their capital or home base. Direwolf is their thingamasigil. And their phrase, I can hear you saying it, winter is coming. All right, next up, Mountain in the Vale. House Aaron, formerly John Aaron. Here, the Erie is their home base, as high as honor, is their uh, saying, as high as honor. Nice one. Also, you know, all you uh, people that are uh, token up or that, you know, you could say that too, you know, you know, you can say as high as honor. So that you got that. And they have uh, a falcon. Is that what it says? I can't read my writing. A falcon and a crescent moon are the, is on their sigil or their flag or whatever. Now we get now things get a little bit complicated. The original seven kingdom. Next one was the Isles and the Rivers. It was run by House Hor, and H O A R E or Hoare, whatever. And Harrenhal was their home base. But I think during Robert's Rebellion or something, this broke up. So we have the Iron Islands, which will be the Isle part. That's run by the Greyjoys. They're Ironborn. I don't know where the hell their base, their home home base is. But uh, their saying is, we do not sow. I couldn't understand what Bran was saying. We do not sow. What the f- I didn't, I didn't look at that, what that means. Like, does that mean they're, they live on the Iron Islands so they can't grow anything? That would be one meaning. But, I mean, we don't reproduce. That's not true. I mean, maybe not. I mean, if Theon was my kid, I'd be like, you know, get those vast desperate, you know, snip those vast desperate or whatever they're called, vast deference. Uh, Sorry. Um, We do not sow. And they have a gold kraken on their, uh, their sigil. So that's the island. The rivers, River Run, a.k.a. the Tullys. A little lady named Cat, Catelyn Tully. I mean, she, you know, the Tully's family, duty, honor. Cat takes seriously. And their sigil's got some friggin' trout on it, which always makes me think of Sir Marin Trout or whatever, who's some jerk in the Kingsguard, who, um, I don't know. I think he comes up again a couple seasons. Okay, next up is the Kingdom of the Rock, House Lannister. Casterly Rock is their base, 
And their thing is, you know, as someone said this episode, it's not, uh, and as that guy, bald old guy, as the guy, as the maester says, uh, it's not the Lannisters always pay their debts. It's, as Katy Perry once said, hear me roar, uh, uh, or, uh, uh, or, hear me roar. I'd like to hear, you know, I don't know who who would be best singing that. I don't want. I never want to hear Jamie sing anything except for "Mommy, Come Get Me" or something. Uh, Tyrion, I'd like to hear sing, but I would rather not think of him as in Lannister. And then Cersei, she's you know. Oh, if you're new to this podcast, I have a sort of a fear attraction to her uh, thing. So maybe she would. I would hear her roar. I mean, I probably wouldn't because she'd be like, you never make me roar, you you, know, you swine. But their sigil is a gold lion on red, I think. Next up, the Stormlands, the kingdom of the Stormlands. Used to be run by the Duradons or something. Storm's End was their base. Baratheons took that over back when, like, Odin, Baratheon or somebody... And they're saying, pretty cool one, ours is the fury. And they have a black stag on a um, gold thing, I think. Ours is the fury, that's Robert. Ours was the fury, would be Robert's thing. You know, I used to be, sorry, I like Robert, but you know. Next up is the Reach. House Gardner was the original um, family that ran that thing. High Garden is their home base. Got taken over by the Tyrells. They have a gold rose as their sigil. And they're they're like the um, farmlands growing strong, as they're saying. Very nice, growing strong. You know, it could be, sounds like almost like, I think that was on probably a couple of propaganda posters. And finally, we have Dorn which is run by the House Martell, and their base, home base is Sunspear. Unbowed, unbent, unbroken. Unbowed, unbent, unbroken. And the reason they're unbroken is they were never conquered by uh, whatever Aegon or whoever the hell's conquering people, or Robert. You know, they did everything. Pull it. I think they tried to get in there one time, one of the Targaryens. And I don't know a lot about the uh, logistics, but they couldn't get in there or something. So they like were like, hey, why don't you marry my sister? I'm like, oh, well, doesn't your, isn't your family all sister and brother marriages? Well, you know, with like your kingdom, you know, with seven, six kingdoms, doesn't sound as good. Plus, Sunspear sounds cool. Dorn sounds cool. Could use you. So, you know, let's do some marriage stuff. I'm like, all right, well, you got those dragons, so why not? And they said, as long as we can be unbowed, unbent, unbroken, but not unwed. And their sign is a red sun with a gold spear through it. So that's the uh, kingdoms and the great houses. Again, if you're um, some sort of uh, historian, sorry if I screwed this up, or if your house didn't make it, like if you're one of the lesser houses, like the Freys or the friggin', um, I don't know, like Sam, wherever he's from, or that guy, the one guy I don't like out in the Vale. I forgot his family's name right now, but 
hate this one guy. You know, if you're one of them, or you're like someone like Littlefinger, who's got, you know, commoner blood like me, sorry. You know, you're not in here. This is just the big dogs. And these are the people profiting by the current system that you all participate in. So, you know, you might love Ned Stark, but he's one of our oppressors, believe it or not. And same with, uh, you know, John Aaron, you know, crushing our hopes and dreams and st- I don't know. Let's not get political, okay? Let's uh, let's let's check in with something else. How's that sound? All right. Next up is the spiders and songs. Like Varys said, you know, they don't write any songs about spiders. Turns out he's partially right. There, there's not many. Like remember the last two weeks ago, I may have looked up the songs, like with Lady in the title. There's tons. You know, Lady in Red, Lady. You know. Oh, there's a lot of them, believe me. I don't know them off the top of my Lady, you're my knight in shining armor, and I love you. Except, wait, is a ladies and knight? Your name is Brienne of Tarth, and if you don't know, she'll be a character revealed in seasons tomorrow. <laughs> All right. So, anyway, it's not the same about ladies. Uh, it's about spiders. So I looked up over at the New York Public Library. Songs about spiders. It was a letdown. You know, you got Itsy Bitsy Spider. You got some songs from Spider-Man musical. You got uh, a couple other spider songs. But then I was like, wait a second. What about a song like about uh, Ziggy? What about Ziggy Stardust and the spiders from Mars? You know that song that I don't know the lyrics to, but that's from a concept album. Also, the spiders from Mars are real people. So let's, let's dig into it over at Wikipedia. Uh, spiders of Mars were the uh, were David Bowie's backing band in the early 70s. Mick Ronson on guitar, Trevor Boulder on bass. And War- Mick Woodmansey on drums. The group had its origins in Bowyer's earlier outfit, Hype. They were, they were subsequently named via the landmark 1972 Bowie concept album. And our buddy uh, Doc Gooder working on a working on a rock rock opera. Uh, the rise and fall of Ziggy Stardust and the Spiders from Mars. And they were billed as such on accompanying. The large-scale Ziggy Stardust tour. They are present again on Bowie's 73 album, Aladdin Sane. He's saying Aladdin Sane, I assume. Another leg of the tour followed that year, with the final show captured in the film Ziggy Stardust and the Spiders from Mars. So, let's see a, a non-fiction spider from Mars. Now, what about this album? The Rise and Fall of Ziggy Stardust and the Spiders from Mars. Fuck a fa 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 fa. You're leaving people in charge. And let's talk about it. Over our, the Rise and Fall of Ziggy Stardust and the Spiders from Mars, often shortened to Ziggy Stardust. No respect for the spiders from fucking Mars. Is the fifth studio album by English musician David Bowie. Loose, base, loosely based. On a fictional rock star named Ziggy Stardust, it peaked. Well, you know, it'll be in the show notes. 
The album tells the story of Bowie's alter ego, Ziggy Stardust, a rock star who acts as a messenger for extraterrestrial beings. Bowie, the great friggin' album, by the way. I love the song, even though, I'm, even though I don't know it by heart. The lyrics, I love that song. It's stuck in my head now. Ziggy played the band. And there's a lot of other, boom, 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 boom. There's a lot of other songs on that album. Uh, Bowie created Ziggy Stardust while in New York City promoting Hunky Dory and performed as him on a tour of the UK, Japan, and North America. The album and the character of Ziggy Stardust, known for its glam rock influences and themes of sexual exploration and social commentary, these factors coupled with the ambiguity, ambiguity surrounding Bowie's sexuality fueled a groundbreaking performance of Starman on top of the pops and led to the album being met with controversy. The concept album is about a bisexual alien rock superstar. Includes use of atonal and rhythmically irregular tape effects. The concept album sheds a light on the artificiality of rock in general, including issues of politics, drug use, and sexual orientation. All of which we've covered uh, in West Westeros. We covered people smoking pot, talked about the politics of Westeros, and... Um, there's always sexual stuff in this podcast. It's always like, you know, mundane, though. Not mundane. I don't know what I'm talking about. Let's, can, can you stay on point? I can. The rise and fall of Ziggy Stardust, <laughs> Stardust and the Spiders from Mars has been consistently considered one of the great albums of all time. Rolling Stone magazine ranked it the 35th greatest ever. Let's skip around to the concept. The album, albeit vaguely... The story of a rock and roll character named Ziggy Stardust Oh, presents, albeit vaguely. Ziggy is a human manifestation of an alien being who is attempting to present humanity with a message of hope in the last five years of his existence. Ziggy Stardust represents the definitive rock star, sexually promiscuous, wild in drug t- intake, but with a message, ultimately of peace and love. He's destroyed by both by his own consumptions and by the fans he inspired. That didn't say spoiler alert there. The character of Ziggy was inspired by rock and roll singer Vince Taylor, whom Bowie met after Taylor had had a breakdown and believed himself to be a cross between a god and an alien. Other influences included the legendary Stardust Cowboy and Kansai Yamamoto, who designed the costumes. The Ziggy Stardust name came partly from the legendary Stardust Cowboy and partly, as Bowie told Rolling Stone, because Ziggy was one of the few Christian names I could find, beginning with the letter Z. Hey, what about Zebediah, dude? Or, uh, uh, Zebra Boy. Zeus, uh, I guess that's not, it's pre-Christian. What about, um, Zeandro, Zandro? He later explained in a 1990 interview that the Ziggy part came from a tailor shop named Ziggy. Well, now, I can't have it both ways. They passed on a trainee like that because it had Iggy, that Iggy pop connotation. But it was a tailor shop, and I thought, well, this whole thing's going to be about clothes, so it'll be my own little joke calling him Ziggy. Are you sure it wasn't? Wasn't there, like, a dude in comics named Ziggy? Like, he was kind of like, uh, isn't there a Ziggy? Something, it'll come to me.
It's kind of like Charlie Brown. He had bad luck. So Ziggy Stardust was a compilation of things. A production, we know the Ziggy Stardust story. The album was intended by Bowie to serve as a soundtrack and musical basis for a stage show and or television production telling the story of Ziggy Stardust. As well as the songs on the album, Bowie intended songs such as All the Young Dudes, Rebel Rebel, Rock and Roll With Me, for the realization of the Ziggy story. In a Rolling Stone interview with William S. Burroughs, Bowie expanded on the Ziggy Stardust story. Time is five years to go before the end of the earth. It has been announced that the world will end because of lack of natural resources. Ziggy's in a position where all the kids have access to things. Listen close, kids. Ziggy's in a position where all the kids have access to things that they thought they wanted. The older people have all lost touch with reality and the kids are left on their own to plunder anything. Ziggy was in a rock and roll band and the kids no longer want rock and roll. Present alert. There's no electricity to play it. Well, we got electricity. Ziggy's advisor tells him to collect the news and sing it. I should do that. It's boring. Because there is no news. So Ziggy does this and there's terrible news. All the young dudes is a song about the news. It's in him. It's no hymn to the youth as people thought. It's completely the opposite. All the young dudes. I don't even know. Is that carry us through? And boom, boom. I thought it was a bop. Wait, that's not a, a refrain in a Beatles song. Anyway, the end comes when the infinites arrive. They're really a black hole, but I made them people because it would be very hard to explain a black hole on stage. I mean, unless you had a giant black hole. Ziggy is advised in a dream by the infinites to write the coming of Starman. So he writes Starman which is the first news of hope that people have heard. So they latch onto it immediately. The starmen that he is talking about are called the Infinites. They are black hole jumpers. Ziggy's been talking about this amazing spaceman who will be coming down to save the Earth. Is that, um, the dude, Major Tong? They arrive somewhere in Greenwich Village. No one noticed. They don't have a care in the world and are of no possible use to us. They just happen to stumble in our universe by black hole jumping. Their whole life is traveling from universe to universe. In the stage show, one of them resembles Brando. Another one's a African-American New Yorker. I have one called Queenie the Infinite Fox. Now Ziggy starts to believe in all this in himself. He thinks of himself as a prophet of the future starman takes himself up to the incredible spiritual heights and is kept alive by his disciples. When the infinites arrive, they take bits of Ziggy to make them real. Because in their original state, they are antimatter and cannot exist in our world. And they tear him to pieces during the song Rock and Roll Suicide. As soon as Ziggy dies on stage, the infinites take his elements and make themselves visible. So that's uh, Ziggy Stardust, not exactly uplifting, but um, great album. Ziggy played. So you got that. Uh, yeah, so don't worry about Ziggy. He was, you know, made, you know, it's, it's just listen to it. It's music. It's fictional music. You can still take joy in it. And it's probably just a metaphor anyway, so it didn't happen. It's not a. 
There was no real Ziggy Stardust. There was really spiders from Mars, but they were a band made up of normal, um, regular, made up of humans. Okay, so don't let's not worry about it. Body hair. Okay. We all have it. Some of us have more than others. I'm lucky I'm in the, you know, some people have back hair, some people don't, whatever. It's not, we're not on a body hair shaming, but the question does arise, why do humans have body hair? Okay, and I went over to How Stuff Works. Old Kristen Conger had a little article about it. Grooming your body can seem like cutting grass in the summertime. You can devote an afternoon to the chore. Next thing you know, the garage is shot up and you're hauling your lawnmower outside again. When landscaping your body, it's a lot about, you know, shaving and stuff. While the hair on the outside of our bodies may appear to be actively growing, the real action takes place below the surface of our skin or epidermis. Cells inside of our hair follicles divide and multiply, and space fills up inside the follicles that pushes the older cells out. As the older cells harden and exit the follicle, they form the hair shaft. Shaft is mostly composed of dead tissue and protein called keratin. But the human body hair doesn't grow indefinitely. If that were the case, you'd, it says you'd, but it it should say some people will probably look a lot like Cousin It from the Adams Family. Instead, individual hairs go through active and resting phases. The process of cellular division that increases the length of the hair shaft is called the antigen phase. The antigen phase continues for a period depending on the type of body hair, then slows down for the resting or telogen phase. Since your hair is made up of dead matter, it falls off during the telogen phase. These varying durations of growth explain why the hair in your head grows longer than your arm hair. Your body's antigen phase usually lasts only a few months, while your scalp's phase lasts a few years. Differences in growth phases, follicle size and shaft and density. Also, so this is a... Okay, that didn't answer any of our questions. Let's check over uh, Christian Conger's article on function of body hair. Imagine wearing a park outside on a sunny day in July as you walk around. Your body rapidly heats up. You grow uncomfortable and start to sweat after 30 minutes of boiling. Inside the coat, you unzip it and feel the cool outside air rush to your skin. If humans had thick hair, like thick fur, like chimpanzees, it would probably feel a lot like being trapped inside of a permanent parka, especially when the mercury rises. Mammals have internal mechanism called thermal regulation that allows the brain to adjust the temperature inside their bodies. There are limits to this range, and for humans, that range is more restrictive on the warmer end of the scale. If your internal internal temperature increases more than a dozen or so degrees, you'll probably die. To keep your body from overheating, you sweat, but in order for sweat to do its job and cool you off through evaporation, there can, can't be a lot of thick hair to get away. There can't be a lot of thick hair around to get in the way. Most adults have about five million hairs across their bodies. That's a steep number, but the hair's short, fine structure facilitates our sweat cooling response. That capability to withstand heat allowed humans to migrate around 1.7 million years ago from tree-covered areas to open savannas in Africa and onward. Humans retained plentiful tresses on the top of their head for protection. 
This makes sense since the head is one of the main part of the body that is consistently exposed to the sun. That means there's a greater amount of heat and radiation that reaches it directly. Traveling down the head to the face, you encounter the first major difference in hair between genders. Men have thicker facial hair and chest hair thanks to hormones in their body called antigens. The root of this gender disparity has to do with natural selection as humans evolved. The overall amount of human body hair diminished. As that happens, humans with less body hair became more capable of survival, which in turn made it a more desirable trait. Males had more power in selecting mates than females, which may have led to increased hairlessness in women, according to the economists, they say. Speaking of mating, body hair can also play a role in sexual attraction. On a superficial level, some people may prefer partners with long, short, or curly locks. Biologically, the areas of thicker hair on a human's underarm and genitals are probably related to sexual selection. But those areas are sites of scent-releasing organs called apocrine glands. The odorous chemicals that the glands emit are unique to every person and may help attract members of the opposite sex, like pheromones and other animals. The hair in these areas traps and amplifies those odors, like loudspeakers that amplify your body's chemical siren song of attraction. Again, The Economist. But if those chemicals aren't enough to hook a honey, perhaps you can wow the apple of your eye with a new cut, color, perm, or crimp. When it comes to body hair, where evolution left off, we have razors, creams, and electrolysis to remove as many whiskers as we please. So I guess in summary, we have body hair. We don't have too much, so we don't get too hot. And, but... You know, we, we, I don't know. I guess, yeah, body hair helps us sweat and helps us attract mates, maybe, and stuff. So that's, uh, that's everything about body hair that was in that article. I don't know if you're a goddess of Westeros, where I wonder where you would stand on, um, body hair like pro or against you know like say you're a goddess of um single women i mean i mean you know goddess old woman you probably might be pro um upper lip you know hair and uh, hair out of moles and uh stuff like that if you're like the mother, you probably just think you're so oity tidy. You don't even have, you know, you're too worried about the warrior and the father and all that and all your children. So you don't, you know, you're busy. And then if you have a lovely, like, maiden of the gods, a sweet goddess like that, and you're looking for, you know, a piece of human to hang with, what would you prefer? You know, natural, semi-natural, or totally, um, yeah, because I ain't going there, maiden, not totally, you know, I'm not going baby style. So, you know, maybe it would just work out for us if you're, like, totally into that total um, smooth thing, because I'm not, I'm not, (laughs) that's way too much work. Sorry, maiden. And in the maiden's end, 
you know, you're probably God, so you could probably just change it around. You know, you're not like us humans having to do work. So you probably change it around. So, you know, we'll talk. I mean, I don't know, Maiden. You better guess right if what I like, you know, I'm not I'm not the I'm the one I guess I'm the one that should be I don't know. I'm just trying to, you know, messing with you, Maiden. Don't worry about it, all right? I'll talk to you later. I got you know, I got this podcast to do so I can't uh, you know, save it for the prayers. So we had a scene with Renly and Loris, and uh, Renly was kind of like, oh, I don't know if I'm tough enough. You know, I'm not quite as skilled in battle as you or tough as my brothers. I, I guess I'm not 100% sure of the context anymore. And Renly's kind of like, well, that's kind of ridiculous for all the reasons we talked about at the top of the episode. But it made me think of this, like, tough enough, which was a, it made me think of a song but more than the song, I know there's like the song that's friggin' so overplayed, and I will talk about the song in a minute. It, it makes me nuts, basically, but it still gets stuck in my head, stuck in my head as I'm trying to talk. But the name of the song was Tough Enough, with an E-N-U-F-F, I think, Tough Enough, by Fabulous Thunderbirds. I think it came out in 86. But also... And unfortunately, this is when you go down the rabbit hole of research, sometimes I come up empty. So I was pretty sure that around the same time, there was a movie called Tough Enough, which there was, starring uh, Patrick Swayze as a, a fighter and a boxer. I think it was Patrick Swayze. Was it Patrick Swayze? Or, uh, no, Dennis Quaid, maybe. I'm sorry. Dennis. Qu- I'm sorry, Dennis Quaid, sorry. Patrick Swayze, I get you guys mixed up. Like young, young Patrick Swayze, young Dennis Quaid, pretty easy to get mixed up, all right? You know, I'm not a, I get my Quazes and my Swayzes swizzled. Anyway, that's not the movie I was talking about. I guess there's a movie, I think it came out in 83, called Tough Enough, starring Dennis Quaid. Kind of like a rocky ripoff from the trailer. I don't know anything about the movie. Because I watched the trailer on YouTube and I was like, there was a seminal movie in my uh, developing years that I saw that I thought was named Tough Enough. Now, I can't find a movie even in, in that time frame. The only other movie that with Tough in the title is Tough Guys, which it was not that. And, I mean, I'll be honest with you. Like, I'm trying to figure out a good way to say this, but it was like one of the movie first movies that I saw Naked Breasts in. As a young man, and I must—I don't know how many freaking times I saw the movie. There's this brief window of time where my family had HBO and maybe Cinemax, and I don't know how long it was. I, and this wasn't like a Cinemax movie. This was a straight-up uh, movie. I thought it was called Tough Enough. It's not called that. I, and it, it, it's like I start to get mixed up with a lot of movies in that time because I'm like. At the plot, I have no idea. I just remember the guy and the woman were making love, sweet love. <laughs> probably they weren't, but probably they were having sex was what they call it. It was like in a motel room. It was raining outside, and she, she was topless. Now, I think, I thought the guy was like a wrestler, but I think that might be Vision Quest. So then it's not tough enough. It's not Vision Quest. But it was like this guy was helping this woman out there. might have been on the run. Uh, not Terminator either. Uh, so if anybody is like an expert in movies where you have no information 
other than that was brief nudity, probably once. There might have been twice. That's maybe why I watched the movie. I know because it was like, I don't even think I had it on, like I didn't tape it off the TV. It might not have been that wise at this point. I was just like, whoa, this is a movie with the topless woman in it. And I think she was pretty attractive. Uh, and this, again, I'm not trying to be misogynistic or perverted. Like, I was just a young boy. I wasn't even, you know, I wasn't even blossoming or blooming or whatever guys do. My, my snails and my puppy dog, my puppy dog tail had not fully, uh, you know, whatever. Oh, jeez, rabbit hole city. But so... When I saw the scene, I was like, oh, I can talk about the plot of that Tough Enough movie. But it turns out the only plot I remember is that one scene. And the movies I get mixed up with, another movie I get mixed up with, two movies, Quicksilver and American Flyer. Quicksilver and American Flyer were bike movies of the 80s. American Flyer starred, uh, well, it didn't star Kevin Costner. He was kind of like the uh, assistant actor, what do they call it, supporting actor, kind of. And he had his brother... And another woman, Radong Chong, was in that. Beautiful, beautiful Radong Chong. And then another woman. I think she, I don't know if she got topless. She might have. But it was about um, a bike race, the hell of the West. A guy named Barry Muzzin was the villain. Robert Townsend, the comedian, was also in it. Good. It was a good movie at the time. I rewatched it maybe a year, a year and a half ago. Kind of stands up to time. Uh I, like, I wondered if it was, like, about, because Kevin Costner has this disease, and then I was like, is he, like, does he have alcoholism, but they're not calling it, like, it's like a, is this, like, a slim metaphor for alcoholism, because he has this terminal disease that his father had, and, or is it some, it was some sort of brain aneurysm type thingamajig. A couple other good actors in there, um, but check it out, American Flyers, then Quicksilver stars Kevin Bacon, I think Jamie Gertz might be his love interest in that movie. That's a San Francisco story where Kevin Bacon is both a ballerina, a ballet dancer, and a, uh, a San Francisco messenger, I think, is the plot of that one. That one I didn't watch as much because it kind of felt like a Footloose ripoff, maybe. I don't know. I remember like there being some cool bike scenes. I remember them riding around Kevin Bacon's apartment starting like their, um, what do you call it, pre-love, uh, you know, warming up for the uh, bedroom, the sex scene in uh, on his bike. They're like making out on the bike, doing ballet, uh, bike. Um, why can't I think of what you do before you have whatever the warm-up sex stuff called? I don't know why I'm blanking on that. So none of those movies are the movie I'm talking about, but there's elements of that in this movie. I don't think either of the people in this movie that I'm thinking of was a star, but they could be because my memory's so poor. So I apologize for that because that would have been interesting. But we covered some interesting stuff, American Flyers, you know, Quicksilver, some of the other stuff at Radon. If you, you know, if you have a podcast, you get into Radon Chong reference and then you get to think about her. That's always a bonus. And for, you know, this is young Kevin Costner in there for for those of you that go for that kind of thing. Kevin Costner's younger brother's kind of got that uh, country boy good looks. And then the girl, his love interest, she's kind of, uh, she does not, her style in the movie is not um, timeless. She's cute, though. But she's got kind of that 80s hair going that's not, uh, 
Like we're radar chunks, timeless. Holy macaroni. Um, what else? I don't, I'm not sure where, where else I go with this. So let's cover the lyrics of, because if you think the song tough enough, no offense to the fabulous Thunderbirds, but if you like hate the song like I do and love it, kind of like this is like my relationship with Cersei. So maybe the song, let's look in the lyrics. I'm not even kidding. I did not think of this at time. Let's go through the lyrics and see if it applies to my, how my feelings of Cersei. I mean, I think probably after I read the lyrics yesterday, like they could have been written by a, um, a like four-year-old. But again, I'm not trying to hate. It was a, way more successful than I am. All right, here's tough enough, the lyrics. I would walk 10 miles on my hands and knees. Ain't no bout a, doubt about it, baby. It's you I aim to please. I'd wrestle with a lion and a grizzly bear. It's my life, baby, but I don't care. Ain't that tough enough? Ain't that tough enough? Ain't that tough enough? Ain't that tough enough? So it's pretty... Walk 10 miles on my hands and knees. Why? I don't know why. Cersei, I don't think I would do that for you because you just criticized me when I got back. Ain't no doubt about it. Maybe it's you I aim to please. I don't know if that's some sort of reference being on your hands and knees. Some, But the next thing is great. I'd wrestle with a lion. Like if it, it could be a metaphor for me and Cersei and a grizzly bear. It could be me fighting Jamie and Robert for Cersei, which, uh, oof, boy, I would not fare well in that. It's my life, baby, but I don't care. Tough enough. Or does that apply? Does this apply to, uh, what the fuck's his name? Renly. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, he'd re- he's wrestled with a lion and a grizzly. He probably doesn't want to fight his brother. Um, and he's probably better off having Loris fight for him in most cases. Next set of, next set of lyrics. For you, baby, I'd swim the sea. I'd swim the narrow sea. Nothing I'd do for you. That's too tough for me. I'd put out a burning building with shovel and dirt and not even worry about getting hurt. Maybe Loris could sing that to Renly because that's nice. Uh, again, like putting my life at risk for Circe is uh, a little bit over the top because I know, you know, I'd rather, sh- you know, she'd tell me what to do and then it goes bad for me than being like, hey, Circe, look, I... Uh, Swam across the sea and rescued uh, something. Tough enough, tough enough, tough enough, tough enough. And then next set of lyrics. I'd work 24 hours a day, seven days a week, just so I could come home and kiss you on the cheek. Kiss your cheek. I love you in the morning. I love you at noon. I love you at the night and take you to the moon. Okay, again, I don't like to use this podcast for negativity, and I already made fun of the... uh, Horribly homely sister of cat, but um, if you're working 24 hours a day, seven days a week, you're not coming home to kiss any cheeks, dude. So, uh, yeah, come on. I mean, what is this? Maybe music is better nowadays. Everyone says, oh, remember the good old days? Yeah, when the fabulous T-Birds were freaking stinking up the airwaves? Man, I'm really angry. I'm sorry, guys. I don't know what this negativity is coming from other than your childish lyrics. And I have a childish podcast. I'd lay in a pile of burning money that I earned and not even worry about getting burned. 
let again. Again, I apologize, but then I'm like, that's idiotic. You'd lay in a pile of burning money that you earned and not worry about getting burned. To what proves your love? Like, what the heck? I'd climb the Empire State to fight Muhammad Ali just to have you, baby, close to me. Yeah, well, that's a good thing I talked about that second. Um, I mean, maybe it turns out my dislike for the song is uh, justified. It is like, what, 10, 96, almost 20 years old, 30 years ago. So, you know, we can move on from that. And then the other stuff, if you guys think of that movie, um, let me know. It's not tough enough, though. And it's not, I don't know if it necessarily starts with tough, but I was positive it did. All right. Thank you. <laughs> I mean, if thank you for listening to the podcast again after you, if you're awake for this, because good golly, Miss Molly. All right, next up is blood phobia. We got to work our way through it quick. But Renly was bleeding, and uh, or did he cut? Loris cut Renly and made him look at his blood, and it's like a blood phobia, also hemophobia or hemiophobia from the Greek hemia, blood. Phobos fear is an extreme and irrational. This is Wikipedia fear of blood. Severe cases can cause physical reaction that are uncommon in most other fears, specifically vasovagal synope fainting. Somebody was trying to sound smart and they couldn't have put fainting and then the other thing in parentheses. Similar reactions can cause. Could occur with tranpanphobia and traumatophobia. These phobias are caused, categorized as blood injection injury phobia by DSVM-4, the OG. Causes, we don't need to do that because we're going to talk about that. And then this this is from WebMD. Uh, it's an article by Stephanie Watson from WebMZ Magazine. It was reviewed by Michael W. Smith. And it says, uh, swoon at the sight of blood. I expect to faint at the sight of my son's blood as a mother. My job is to nurse boo-boos. But when my son came to me after smashing his thumb, I did my best Florence night in the gallon, and I saw the blood. The room began to spin, spin. I broke out in a cold sweat. I felt cold all over. I felt the color drain from my face. I yelled upstairs for my husband to take over. I fell to the kitchen, slid to the kitchen floor. Psychologists don't know why exactly 15% of us experience a plunge in blood pressure that causes us to faint whenever we see blood. One theory is that the phenomenon, officially called blood injury phobia, is an evolutionary mechanism. The idea is back in time when someone was coming at someone with a sharp stick or rock, a kind of genetic variation allowed certain people to faint in response. Uh, warriors who fainted looked dead. Treating blood injury phobia, uh, there might be uh, might have been helpful to some ancestors, but psychologists have devised ways to treat the fear. So, if you're having trouble, try to find a psychologist trained in treating phobias. For a referral, go to the Association for Behavioral Behavioral and Cognitive Therapies www.aabt.org or Anxiety Disorders of America adaa.org and talk to a therapist. The technique that's most effective is called tension, developed by Swedish, yeah, Sweden, psychologist Lars Goran Ost, which works best with self-exposure. 
Oh, it just says, you know, talk to your therapist. Okay, so I have, of course, a story, blood blood related story. Now, I don't have blood injury phobia, uh, but I have, I, I, it's embarrassing, and this is like I'm burying my soul here. So, but I'll set up the story. Like, well, I guess the punchline is I faint when my blood is drawn. Ha ha, you can laugh at me, it's fine. Um, but I don't think I have a phobia because, or maybe I'm in denial and I'll tell you why it would happen, but it's like crazy. Like, and it's not, I don't, I can, I can bleed and I don't, uh, swoon or whatever. I get, like if I have a cut, even really bad one in the kitchen, you know, a few times I've come close to losing a digit. I like one time I got a little lightheaded. That was like, cause I'm like, oh man, this could be a, a finger loss here. But then I was like, okay, I'm okay. So my own blood bleeding doesn't bother me. But the idea of my blood, something about the idea of my blood leaving my body and going into some receptacle bothers me. And, but that's not, I don't know if that's a, that's like one thing about this thing. And then I, so every single time I have to go get my blood drawn, I faint or like go to la la land basically. And there's a reason behind it, but it's like, um, and no one believes me because I look like a regular dude, a uh, healthy male, and they like, uh, you know, and it's like embarrassing to begin with. And I'm not nervous. I mean, I'm like, at this point, I'm used to it. So it's like, I'm like, listen, you know, I usually get uh, something happens, you know, I usually go down when I'm getting my blood drawn. And they're like, oh, you'll be fine. Don't worry. Like, every person says that, like, don't worry, I'll handle it. Uh, you know, I'll talk through it. I'm like, no, it's not that I'm nervous. It's like this, you know, physical mechanism at this point. Oh, no, no, no. I'm like, all right, whatever, you'll see. And and then they try to talk to me, and usually it's like, oh, tell me, like, if I was like, oh, I have a podcast, tell me about your podcast. I'd be like, what is that? And then all of a sudden, next thing you know, you know, it's like I'm drifting off and seeing, like, a Tyrannosaurus Rex is kissing me, and then, you know, meanwhile, I'm passed out. And uh, so it all started. Uh, way back. So I donated, and it wasn't, this wasn't always the case. Um, I'd actually donated blood in high school a few times. I don't know what age you can start donating blood, but they had a blood drive at high school. I donated blood. And I'm like, hey, this, this is cool. I feel my low self-esteem was slightly boosted. So I was like, I'll do this again. So like, yeah, come down to the home office. You can donate every whatever, two or three months. So I went down to blood Red Cross. I would donate blood. Then the next year's blood drive comes, right? And I sign up for it. I'm like, you know, my timing's all right. So I got my blood, and uh, I uh, go into go, and the, and the lady's like, okay, lie down. And you know, I'm like, I donated blood before. You know, I just don't. The only thing is, I'm also I don't like needles. So I'm like, I'm just gonna look away while you, you know put the needle on me. She's like, okay, she, I'm going to put it in now. So like, it should stop, you know, just make a fist or whatever you're supposed to do. She's like, it's, it should stop hurting in a minute. And it hurt and it didn't stop hurting. And then she was like, you know, doing work. And I go, you know, it's, this really hurts. It's not stop hurting. And then she's like, oh, I missed it. You know, you rolled on me or something. Then she sticks me like so many times that she ends up like chunking up my, um, my vein and my, and she's like, and then, I'll, like, I look down, and my, my arm's purple, and was, uh, and then I was like, uh, oh, boy, uh, 
you know, what'd you do to me? And then I was thinking about my poor vein or artery or whatever, like picturing in my head, traumatized, probably worse in my head. This poor little veiny poo, uh, getting all, you know, double, triple, quadruple punctured. I was like worried that it'd be like a hose that it's like, are you going to tape that thing back together? Is that still connected? Or, you know, is that like my, my am I going to, so I wasn't pleased, needless to say. Now, I'm not the kind of person that sends back food at a restaurant. So I was trying to make a brave face of it. But at the same time, I'm like, ah, oh, man. And then it was like a big deal. So then teachers are coming over. I mean, not like a big deal. Go to the hospital. But, you know, like last thing in high school, at this point, I think I was like getting ready to graduate. So it wasn't like I was like, oh, this is going to be so embarrassing. But still, like you don't want to be a center of attention. But I don't think I fainted at that point. But from there on out, never again. I can't. It was like it was like that one jinxed me. And even though I tell myself I've tried like all the, I mean I haven't tried Swedish, uh, whatever Jornat or whatever his name is, because um, it's not that big a deal. Because how often? What do you got to give blood every other year? I don't don't obviously I'm not going to donate my blood because I'm not. Um, I mean, like I said, if if it was like the Khaleesi who was having a blood blood drive. And Melisandre was sucking out the blood. I mean, not, not like that, but like, you know, she was the one of the nurses I probably would donate it. But otherwise, um, so that's a blood story. Trying to keep it, trying to keep things under time. So it's kind of a rushed one, but a little bit embarrassing. So other guys or other people that have stuff to be embarrassed about, don't be embarrassed about it, you know, or don't be humiliated by it. I mean, it is bar- embarrassing. For me, I'm, my face is a little red right now even. But these things happen. Um, sometimes they, like if it's a phobia that's eliminating your uh, ability to live your life, uh, you know, you should deal with it. But I also have a stack of phobias. So it's like I don't got to worry about going and getting my blood drunk because I also have phobias of the doctor, you know. So it's like that's like a lower phobia that's, <laughs> that's not causing me trouble because my other – anxieties and neuroses. So, you know, that's, uh, I mean, and a lot of people just tell you to get over it. Just like insomnia, it's, you know, that's a bunch of bullshit. If you have insomnia, it's not a switch that you can freaking turn off. And unfortunately, this blood thing, I've tried to be like, I've tried everything. You know, stay calm, breathe, cough, talk to the person, think about something nice, blah, blah, think about whatever. But it don't work, okay? And I, I wish I didn't faint, but I do. Alas, luckily I'm not trying to be, um, what you know, like like Renly, like a potential wannabe king. So I don't got to worry about it that much. So uh, whatever. Okay, so we're a little bit, we're like way, like pressed for time, but I wanted to tell a story about a chorus line. It's a musical, which I said in the opening now, I'm going to put it in the show notes. It's a musical about people trying out for a musical, I think. Let's see what the plot is. Synopsis. The show opens in the middle of uh, this from Wikipedia audition for an upcoming Broadway production. The former, formable director, Zach, and his assistant choreographer, Larry, put the dancers through their paces. Every dancer is desperate for work. After a round of cuts, 17 dancers remain. Uh, Zach tells them he's looking for a strong dancing chorus for boys and for girls. He wants to learn more about them. He asks them to introduce themselves. With reluctance, the dancers reveal their past. The stories 
generally prog- progress chronologically from early life through adulthood. Um, and all the dancers go through. So I guess they're auditioning for a chorus line, obviously. So um, I haven't seen the musical, but at some point someone played, was like, oh, that was a fan of the musical that I was in a car with played the uh, music. And they play. I was kind of just half listening. Nah, I'm like, a, I like you guys to know you hear me. I like musicals. Uh, I got nothing against them. You know, it's, that was like a territorial issue. I'm like, well, I don't know. This is kind of, uh, you know, you're choosing the music now situation. But I was like, but then this song came up and it shook me to the frigging core uh, called Nothing. And I'll put it in a Spotify playlist. I'm just going to make one Spotify playlist. But if you look up Chorus Line, nothing. Um, it's this woman. What's her name? Morales. Uh, her audition song. And it's beautiful, beautiful song. But it's also very upsetting to me. So I'll read you the lyrics. And it's, whoa. And then you, uh, and then you guys can read into it exactly. Why it would disturb me and shake, upset me, uh, uh, because you know I got the same problem, uh, you know, metaphorically in some sense. Every day for a week we would try to feel the motion, feel the motion down the hill. Every day for a week we would try to hear the wind rush, hear the wind rush, feel the chill, and I dug right down to the bottom of my soul to see what I had inside. Yes, I dug right down to the bottom of the, my soul, and I tried. I tried. And everybody's going whoosh, whoosh. I feel the snow. I feel the cold. I feel the air. And Mr. Carp turns to me, and he says, Okay, Morales, what do you feel? And I said, Nothing. I'm feeling nothing. And he says, Nothing could get a girl transferred. They all felt something. But I felt nothing, except the feeling this bullshit was absurd. What I said to myself, hey, it's only the first week, maybe it's genetic, they don't have bobsleds in San Juan. Second week more advanced, and we had to be a table, be a sports car, ice cream cone. Mr. Carp, he would say, very good, except Morales, try, Morales, all alone. So I dug right down to the bottom of my soul, to see how an ice cream felt. Yes, I dug right down to the bottom of my soul, and I tried to melt. The kids yelled, nothing. They called me nothing. And Carp allowed it, which really makes me burn. They were so helpless, they called me hopeless, until I really didn't know where else to turn. And Carp kept saying, Morales, I think you should transfer to Girls High. You'll never be an actress, never. Jesus Christ, went to church praying, Santa Maria, send me your guidance, send me guidance on my knees. Went to church praying, Santa Maria, help me feel it, help me feel it pretty please. And a voice from down at the bottom of my soul came up to the top of my head. And the voice from down at the bottom of my soul here is what it said. This man is nothing, this course is nothing. If you want something, go find a better class. And when you find one, you'll be an actress. And I assume that's finally what came to pass. 
Six months later, I heard Carpet died, and I dug right down to the bottom of my soul, and I cried, because I felt nothing. I mean, I didn't want him to die or anything, but... So that's nothing, and I got chills reading it. I don't know about the second half of the song. Maybe this podcast is part of me learning how to feel. But it's like, I was like, man, I don't feel anything sometimes, emotionally. Uh, I'm... Uh, I think I probably could imagine what it would be like to be an ice cream cone, and that would be boring, but too boring because I would just sit here melting, or maybe my dog would come and lick me, which wouldn't probably give her not uh, make me ner- upset as an ice cream cone because I'd be worried about her. Um, but I don't know. You should listen to the song because me reading it spoken word style is nothing compared to listening to someone sing it. I felt nothing, so, so, you know, something. Uh, and I'm not trying to, I mean, this is late in the podcast, so you'd probably be asleep anyway, but, uh, you know, sometimes we feel like that, or at least I do. I don't know about you guys. Uh, or, I mean, maybe it's like, I don't know. If it's, I don't know. Maybe, But here's the point where I'm getting at, I need to wrap up with this segment, is that, don't, don't don't let your internal critic beat you up because you're a human being and make, you know, you're a human being. You're not a a robot. You're just like Morales. It's like, you know, maybe the teacher shouldn't be beating her up, making picking on her. Maybe you should be helping her or probing with her. Or maybe you should not be teaching acting. Uh, if you just tell, don't tell someone how to pretend to be an ice cream cone. I mean, don't tell them to pretend to be ice cream cone. Help them. And with yourself, you know, just because you're a, a rock, an island that feels nothing, you're an emotional, um, uh, you know, Grinch, you know, been called that probably, uh, doesn't mean you're a defective human being, okay? Whatever road you're on, whatever battles you're fighting, whatever's got you down, okay, give yourself a little bit of a break. You're a person, okay? Dig right down to the bottom of your soul. Maybe you need a little change, too. Not of this podcast. And, you know, no, keep with the podcast. But, yeah, I don't know. I was trying to talk. But that's it. And, you know, believe it or not, I guess there is, I, this is my Morales moment because I do feel something for you guys when I hear from you and your struggles. So I feel something, something, so uh, I don't know. Listen to it on, you know, Google it and listen to the music. Thanks. Hey, everybody. Uh, we're here live, uh, believe it or not, to Red Keep. And uh, it's an on-location episode of Talking Targaryens. Welcome to another episode of Talking Targaryens. I'm your host, and I'm going to be interviewing the Mad King. Uh, okay, no, not to call him the Mad King. So I'm here with some representative, some vassal. What are you, a vassal? Uh, somebody, and they're going to bring bring the Mad King over, so I'm going to get right to it. Uh, good afternoon, Your Grace. Good afternoon. Night. Pleasant to meet you. Oh, well, so nice to meet you. Uh, yes, Your Grace, uh, if you come over here, this is a, this is a microphone, and uh, we're going to be interviewing for our show, Talking Targaryens, where we talk to Targaryens. Oh, okay, 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 I'll come over. Okay, your grace, your grace, can you mind me saying what beautiful nails you have? They're, they're very, very long nails. Oh, they're long because I, no blood to touch me. 
No, you cannot trust anyone with a blade. I will not let their blades touch me. No, not one bit. Oh, that's, that's so wise, your grace. And your hair is very long, too. And it seems to be matted and oily in a, a wonderfully, uh, it's very um, shimmering. Oh, thank you. No blade on my hair, either. Yeah, it's probably full of antioxidants, natural antioxidant. Antioxidant? You want me to be an accident? No, no, antioxidant. Antioxidant, what's that? Antioxidants like something that protects you naturally. Oh, protection in my hair, I like you. Okay, you're here to see the dragons, huh? Yes, yes, I say you're here to see the dragons. Yes, Your Grace, I I mean, I'd love to talk to you. Oh, no, we talk to the dragons, you and I. What do they call you? What do they call you? You are lord. I hate the lords. Are you a lord? No, no, Your Grace. I'm just a simple um, uh, podcaster. You're from the podcaster. Where's the, is that one of the kingdoms I rule over? Uh, kind, yes, Your Grace. It's a small uh, place, and I just um, I'm, I'm I'm here for the people who love you so much. They love you, and they want to know more about you. Ah, oh, the people, they don't love me. They want to take me. Like all these, they want to get in my pot. They, they cannot be trusted. You you are one of them? Well, no, Your Grace, I'm one of you. You know, I'm a mere servant. Your humble humble servant, My Grace. Oh, good, good. You're very penitent, very nice. So you have to talk to the dragons for the pot pot Okay, well, come, come along, come along. Before we start, would you like uh, a glass of hellfire? A little glass of hellfire to uh, warm you up? I'm sorry, Your Grace. Like, isn't that that green stuff that uh, is is like tear? Oh, it's a, it, it will cleanse you for good, and I will know you can be trusted when your soul is burnt clean. No, thank you, Your Grace. I don't uh, partake in hellfire or any other. I'm fine. I had a I had a. A Gatorade, uh, I'm, I'm away here. I get a Gatorade. Gatorade. Yeah, just rain, rainwater. Ah, good, good. Yeah, they will not, uh, don't let them touch your water. They will do things to you with the poison. But I come, we meet the dragons, you and I, my good friend. What's your name again? I said, you did not tell me. Scooter. Scooter. Scooter from podcast, okay. Now here we have have the little baby dragon skulls lined up. See all the skulls? They're so nice. They remind me of stuff I don't like. And I can hear them chattering and, and things. But here's a little baby skull here. Touch the head. It's nice. Go ahead and kiss. Kiss it. Kiss it. Uh, your, your grace, you kiss. There's still like some kind of sca- is it scales on there. And... uh Oh, kiss it, please. Please kiss it. Okay, Your Grace, I'll kiss the, kiss the dragon. Okay, so those are the baby scars I take. I will introduce you. So this is our joy. Esos. Esos over here. Valerian over there. That's Valerian. Giscar. Giscar is over here. Come on. Come on, Kuros, to this one. This is Vermitrax, okay? I'd like you to... Uh, Watch this, okay? You stand here. I'm going to. I'm going to go into his mouth one second, and 
Oh, where's the king? I say that. Okay, say that to the guards. Oh, where's the king? Where's the king? The, the king is missing, say. The king is missing. He's gone. I think the dragon ate him. The king is missing. He's gone. I think the dragon ate him. The guards are just pointing at you, uh, your grace. Oh, they don't like that. They don't like me either. They don't like me one bit. They say I'm the mad king, they call me. They say they're coming to take me away and they're going to... But I will burn them all. Don't worry, I will burn them all with the bell fire. I try to get you to drink it, but before you leave, you will... You, well, you know, Your Grace, if you, I'll just come. Just let me know when they're getting... You know, because i got to get this filed, this report in, so everyone knows, you know, what what a great leader you are. And, you know, maybe come protect you. And then I'll come back for the burning thing. Oh, you're so good. Okay, the rest of the dragons here. Sunfire. Sunfire. Vavs something fear fine. I don't know. Maraxius. I like that one, Maraxius. Toto. He's a, he's a... Did you ever think about um, what happened if someone sat on that, you know, that that tooth? Sat on the tooth? You want the king to... No, 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 you king, but... uh. You know, it would hurt if you sat on that tooth. It would go, oh, oh, oh yes. Yes, I'll call over. You, guard, come. What's your name? The Lannister boy. Come here. What do you mean? You look at me. I'm your king, boy. Don't make me put my nails on you again. Oh, that was when you were asleep. I run my nails across your shirtless body. Yes, I do. Okay. Uh, your choice. You sit on these here. Sit on that. Sit. No. Okay. Drink the bear fire or sit on that. Also, I will take care of your family. I know. I will. I will, I will have make your sister, you know, bathe in bear fire. Okay, your grace. Let's just. Uh, oh dear, that looks painful. Uh, okay, your grace. That's a. Uh, he's got to get off of there, your grace. Okay, let guards drag him out. That's a Lannister boy. He's no good. I don't like him. Okay, let's get to the rest of the dragons, shall we? Because I need to, I need to start and uh, check on the bellfire. I'm collecting it to burn everyone, everyone, because no one can be trusted. What about yourself, Your Grace? Not even I. Okay, so we have uh, we have one last dragon for you to meet, the Black Dread, Balarian. This is the most lovely dragon. And uh, what are you doing? Well, Your Grace, I was going to kiss it. Uh, see, I'm patting it on. Not Balerion. He's the most intimidating. You, you, why'd you, 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 you broke his, you broke his skull with the tapping. Oh, oh, I got guards. I, okay, listen, I, oh, I, it was nice to meet you, Your Grace. I, I need to go. Okay, guys, I'm going to get out of here because I don't, this guy's a lunatic. And uh, this segment tonight. All right, we'll be back with some other segment. Bye. All right, it's time for my prayers. Crone, sweet crone, it's me. Barky, what's up? Barky, I don't know. I haven't heard from you about tree breed. Barky, Miller, Smith, Jester. Just calling in. Uh, I want to say some prayers from some other people, as always. I want to pray for the... Uh, George R. R. Martin's favorite football team, New York Jets. He puts a lot of work into these books. 
and probably needs the last thing he needs is more agitation from these jets. Uh, so if you could get them, you know, going, whatever, keep them going. Eric Decker's on that team, so you know I, I got a soft spot for Eric Decker. So for George R. R. Martin's Jets, I want to pray for, uh, make sure we pray for Posty, our Canadian musician, Christopher Posty, Chrissy Pooh, who created our music. He's over at uh, soundslikeanearful.com. That's his podcast, Gods. I don't have time to explain to you guys a podcast, but uh, he, uh, he, there's a chance um, that he might be in love with someone he nicknamed Dad. And I've just been thinking about him. Uh, so if you can keep an eye on him and... You know, honestly, if Maiden, if you're not game for me, because you know he's Canadian, he's got he's got to be a super nice guy. So you know, maybe maybe or maybe well, I don't really and not into sharing situations. So just let me know, Maiden, because he'd probably be nicer to you and more reliable than me and stuff. So think about it. Um, but I'm not even praying the Maiden. That's just a general in case you know the Maiden's just in case she's listening in. Uh, pray for our Lord and Lady, uh, Crone, give them the wisdom they need. They got a lot going on, so, you know, think about that. They, you know, you're retired, so, you know, I know you got the time. Uh, our dear friend Strader's watching over them from the wrestling ring in the world, from the wrestling ring, but, you know, Smith, keep an eye on him. I don't, you know, I don't, I don't want to have any concussions on our buddy Nick, all right? And everybody else that supports the podcast, I want to I want to pray for them. Of course, way before me in those cool boots that still don't got. But you know, I've I had that imitation pair of them. But you know, I especially want new people that I heard from this week: uh, Pat P. and Melissa K. over on Twitter. Thank you, Emily L. She wrote. She sent this cool Facebook link to this guy eating soup to the Game of Thrones thing. That was great. Robin, Tuck, and Josh all commented on the website. Thank you for all the listeners um, and the, all the support. Gods, they're doing and support me in your stead. So that's a, a thank yous, gods. You know, I'm gratitude for everything else. Um, Especially, you know, the trials and travails you like to put me through because, you, as you probably know, I was working on my second quest, trying to discover what the best second quest would be to bring glory to your names. And believe it or not, Crone, I heard about uh, this, like, city, Westeros City. I'm not going to—I don't want you guys smoting the whole city, so I'm not going to tell you the name of it, but it's run by a bunch of jerks. And I guess they had this thing, I guess, like, they, 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 they kind of, they, I don't know if it, what the, it must not be a king running that thing. Like, it's got to be someone and they put in charge. Either the king's away or the king's not around. I, I'm not sure. I don't write rules and laws. That's not my game. But so, Crone, get, get this. I call wind to this when I was out on the, uh, out on the road, like, I seen this, uh, old woman hovelled up by a rock and at first she kind of was like her it looked like one of her eyes was like bugging out like you know you know i have that thing about bugging bug eyes but this one it was like almost like out of her and i was like oh boy it was like that milky kind of thing 
But one, I was regular, so I knew she wasn't doing the, uh, she wasn't in a wolf or whatever, unless she was like half in a wolf. But either, either way, part of me, the you know, the part of me that doesn't praise your names was like, oh boy, we got to cross over the other side of this road here and let's steer clear. Cause she was saying, uh, uh, you know, stuff. I don't it was mumbling type stuff. But then I was like, whoa, buddy, you know, this might be a test. One, it could be the maiden testing you, could be the maiden herself which would be nice. That would be handy if I was, or it could be the crone testing crone, you know, it could still be you. I'm not sure. Or it could, I, you know, Smith Miller Barkey. And, and I think it was one of you guys, Jester. I figured, you know, if she scared me when I got close or something, that it would be you. But so I go, I change my, and then, you know, maybe there's a part of me that feels soft for this. Cause she, uh, she looked a little cold. I'll be honest with you. That was the part that uh, hit me. Hit me where it counts. I mean, that and that it could have been, honestly, could have been the maiden. Uh, like a live maiden, you know, just waiting to switch to the maiden mode. But so whatever I said, you know, I got this one blanket, but this is an old woman. What's the downside here? I give her my blanket. I mean, well, the worst downside would be whatever's going on with her eye is contagious. So then I was trying to walk over. I said, hey, you look cold. And she says, no, she starts yelling at me about being old. And I said, well, excuse me, ma'am. I said, cold, first off. Second off, I'm in with the crone. So don't start going, calling me anti-geriate or whatever you were calling me and saying I whatever stuff. Okay, that's two. Three, I was going to offer you a blanket. Well, because I was being nice and you look cold. And two, because I, I I thought you were the maiden, but now I'm pos- almost positive you are. And even if you are maiden, no offense, but whatever that sauerkrauty smell is coming off your breath, I don't even think a goddess could get rid of it. So, but here, you know, either all, those things aside, um, here's a blanket. Uh, you know, I, I'm I'm totally you know not the greatest ever anyway. Um, what's up? You seem, uh, really twisted and bent out of shape. And, uh, to be honest, I'm going to sit here. Like if your eyeball is going to squirt anything, if you could look away, let me know, you know, or something, but I'll be here and you can, you know, take the blanket, go, yeah, wrap yourself up. And, uh, you could just tell me what's going on because to be honest, I, I spent like a couple of weeks with goats and this won't be that different. They were, they like to get really close to my face for some reason, and they would make this. Blah, blah, blah. So I'm here, uh, just wondering why. You know, you're huddled against a rock. I get it. You know, some uh, maybe I could walk you. I don't know where I would take you. I was headed towards that city, the one I'm not. You know, secret city. Uh, you know, are you going there? Are you coming? And then she starts going off about, I don't know if it was a judge. I don't know what the terms are, but let's just say he was an alderman because I never knew what that word meant anyway. And I'm pretty sure it's generic for a government boob. But she says uh, this alderman, uh, Ronson or some, I don't even know, started with an R. She said he threw us all out. And I said, uh, what do you mean all of us? She said, all the old. And I said, all the old are the cult because you were having trouble with that earlier. Can you, you know, she said, everyone old, they threw us all out. And I said, okay, well, um, 
I'll tell you what, next thing you know, I'm making the soup and, and well, soup, warm water uh, for this lady. And we're, you know, we're having dinner, soup. Um, you know, Miller, if you catch this, that's what I'm having is some water and I got some other stuff, you know that, but not nothing, no feast. Water with like uh, beef jerky in it, so, so whatever. I say, you know, we'll have some broth. So that's what I call beef stew, and she was like into it. She has, ended up being a pretty nice lady. I think her name was Bertha, but again, don't check her birth rolls because I'm not Bertha birth rolls. So she lays it on me. This alderman got laid out some decree or whatever you stamp up, I guess, like, I don't know if it's at one, probably in a town, this is a city, not a town, uh, you know, everywhere. I don't know, he maybe he was the mayor, or the mayor's probably, but he says, uh, you know, all the people that can't take care of themselves, the old, I don't, he gets infirmed maybe. You got two choices, you live with your family or you're gone. Like, because I guess he said, you know, this is costing way too much money. Because I guess the lord before this was some lord. Real nice guy. Line of lords, good lords. So obviously this ain't Lannisport, you know, gods. So but so they always had like these nice places for the people. Like if you didn't have a family and you were older, you could live there. And they had a ton of heat for the people, you know, most of the people. Crone, you know, you probably get cold. You know, they needed a lot of heat. And then there's a couple, you know, rabble-rousers that needed cold. But he had that whole thing figured out. He had a couple different joints for these people. You know, one that was mixed, men and women. One that was women, one that was men. So whatever you're, you know, if you want to be isolated like a nun or priest or, you know, just too distracting or. But he had this whole setup. And then I guess they had like in hospitals nearby, like some sort of uh, helpful Lord, where he must have had a lot of bread, or I don't even know. And she said even him and his wife would come by and the kids. But next thing you know, this Lord, I don't know what he got involved in, but some sort of stuff, and he's out. Uh, probably, to be honest with you, this reeks of like a Bolton situation. And I'm not talking about Michael Bolton. I'm talking about Roose Bolton. So that I'm on it. Don't worry. And I just got to figure out you know, the George R. R. Martin stuff, so I don't interrupt any stuff that's in the actual Game of Thrones universe when I start kicking butt here. But so they gather, so this uh, alderman, whose name I already forgot, Jerkman, let's just call him that, he says, you know, now that the Lord's not funding it, the money's out, or it's almost out, and, you know, we need industry here, we don't need to be taxing everybody. We need, this is like whatever free laissez-faire type garbage, some invisible hand he believes in. I have no idea. And so they throw, they say, you know, move in with your family. You got no family. Hit it out of the town. So they chase all these old people out of town, Crone. You believe that? So clearly uh, the woman wasn't the maiden because she, and then she, believe it or not, this woman, she's barely alive, it looked like, with her eye and the whole thing. She just ate almost all my beef stew. I mean, which, whatever. I mean, I'm hungry, but don't, gods don't, you know, don't shake it. You know, jets first, posty, you know, get posty. Make sure this uh, dad and the posty podcast doesn't mess with them. And then the rest of the stuff I talked about. Then uh, 
you know, I still am looking for a prodigy that's half man, half God. And then, you know, all the magical stuff I asked for. And then food, you know, that's like, except for the magical food. I think they called it like, I almost remember the name of, they called it Lembret or something on, uh, but, you know, Barky, are you reading those books? I thought I put them, I put them up in a tree, the uh, Lord of the Rings ones in the DVDs and they're gone. So I was assuming you got them, but maybe not. Um so this, so that's a summary there. Crone, I know you probably, you gotta be, um, whatever. I don't know if you're boil, if you have boils and they're boiling, or your liver spots have got to be tingling or something because this is just, or what do you got? Bunions? Um, are they bunioned up because this is just not acceptable situation? So I want to let you guys know though before I took action. Um, what I so here's what I here's what I thought of. So I told this woman, I said, Where are you gonna stay at? And she said, We got this village of old people down here, down in this gully that I'm headed to. And I, I, I went down there, holy, uh, just like you could imagine. Uh, not a good idea. Way more, um, as a side note, way more sex going on than I would have assumed. But other than that, it's like crazy down there. So I'm going to deal with that. So, so Crone, you might get a twofer here because I'm, well, you got, the rest you got to think about because none of you can like an alderman. So I'm going to go down. I'm going to deal with this in cam of the, the old and the invalid. I don't know what I'm going to do. So I definitely need some help from you guys and some, you know, not even boots or jets. I mean, take care of the jets first because George R. R. Martin's got to get these books done. And, you know, like I said, he doesn't need any agita from this, from the Jets. I mean, God forbid, I don't know if he's a Mets fan. I, I am a, um, like a lapsed Mets fan because of the heartache. But so that's it for tonight. I mean, I'm, I'm praying and my prayers are coming in action now. God's just like, you know, this is just like freaking, uh, I don't know. I mean, just like you like it. You want me doing stuff? I'm doing it. I mean, crone. And you know I'm not making it up because you got like your God watch stuff. You probably rewind it. Um, that's it. I'm trying to think of anything else. I just want you to keep an eye out for all my listeners. And I, I would ask for more stuff to deal with the invalids here. Uh, Shut in city. That's what they call it too. You believe that? I thought that was funny. I said, who came up with that? And they pointed me this guy and he said his name's uh, Arnie. And he's so he might be my sidekick for a while. He's a, a hoot. Uh, but so I'm gonna deal with the shut-in city. Um, if you, if you, I don't even know if Westeros has a Meals on Wheels type thing, that would be helpful because it's not. I mean, I could use a meal, but these so I mean, you can't leave. In this, what it, it, you know, maybe I, I I'll deal with the city and then go in there. But if you have any kind of like fungus, you could give to this alderman. Or whatever's going out that lady's eye, Bertha's eye, or whatever. Or I just collect as much diseases as I can and, like, put them on some, I don't know, I'll think of something. And then, but this alderman's toast. And he's probably, like, a Bolton vassal, even though we're not, I can't say where we are. Again, I don't know if Mr. Clegane was a lord, you know, the lord, the father of the hound in the mountain. But that guy's also on my, you know, watch Watch list, as in watch me, 
wreck, wreck them. So if Clegane's involved, yeah, just if you guys, I'll watch the stars. Maybe you should shift around some stuff up there and just guide me. Um, I'm your, you know, I'm, I'm, I hate, the, I'm like your alderman down here, but, uh, you know, uh, I know my limitations. I'm not, I know I'm not that, like a problem with the alderman is they, they're like as smart as me and as effective as me, but they think that they got the title and then it's all of a sudden they're like, oh wait, no, I'm not the one that was hanging out with goats two months ago and that lost the goats. But I know that's me, but um, hopefully I won't lose these older folks. See, Crone, I'm even like working on my language, more inclusive. I'm not an anti-Jerry, whatever that old woman said, because that was a mix-up too. But so, yeah, um, that's it. I'm way, way over time in my prayers, but, you know, what's a hosting space when you're talking to the gods? So I'm wrapping it out. You know, I'm here on Earth in Westeros. I think they call, I call it Earth because I'm traveling between time, you know, verses and metaverses. But uh, that's it, crone, sweet crone. Uh, you know, I'm working on your people here down here. Miller, Barky, Smith, Jester. You know, I need your back. I need you guys to have my back. It's that simple. And this alderman, uh, you know, we'll deal with him once we deal with this. I mean, you wouldn't believe the sex going on down here, guys. Uh, Chrome's probably already. She she might not even. She, I know she's already hearing, but uh, it's crazy. Uh, I didn't know they had it in them, but they do. But I guess it's kind of, it's kind of like a like a renaissance fair without the shows or any, you know, the good stuff. But there's still all the people, like, having sex. So, so yeah, I mean, uh, that's it. I'll, I'll report back as soon as I can. Thank you, gods, for this opportunity. And I'm on it, all right? Um, I'll be in, be in touch. Go gods. Go gods. And, you know, jets too.